everybody wants to invest in an RV park, but choosing this one park in Kentucky and this one park in Georgia and this one park in Florida, sometimes the risk profile doesn't make sense based on that one individual park. So now if you can basically buy a swath of those, you're getting 15 to 20 uh, inside of your same investment. I think that's a much better play from a diversity uh, and a risk management play for investors. For us, the other thing that's going to allow us to do is to make sure all of our funds are going in one place. Uh, we've been having so much um, interest in our deals that we've had people bringing us large, you know, million dollar plus in capital, and we've just been able to kind of plug that capital to a park. You're listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast. We're not here to bruise your bananas with guru sales pitches, overrated fluff, or any other kind of monkey business. We simply provide the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Okay, and welcome back to another episode of Gorilla State Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Magarowski, and today... I'm selfishly excited to have Jeremy Hans on the podcast. Jeremy Hans is with Climb Capital. And in late 2021, they made a pivot to be actively pursuing RV parks. They uh, started it in multifamily back in 2014. And at the time their first deal was going full cycle, their first syndication in multifamily was going full cycle, they picked up their first RV park. And that was at the end of 2020. And a year later, uh, they made the pivot. Uh, a lot of investors are making that pivot these days because of the competitive nature of multifamily. And I am really, really interested to hear this story. So Jeremy, welcome to the program. Brandon, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. You got it, man. All right. Let's uh, give us a quick, brief uh, 2014 to 2020 history of your multifamily experience in real estate and then just how the transition happened. What did you guys see in the market? Sure. Why, why RV parks? Um, and let's get this conversation going. So uh, going back a step earlier than that, right? Uh, I'm as white bread as they come. I'm as middle class, white kid from the suburbs as you can get. Um, nice parents, you know, good bring up. Got the Navy scholarship, was in the Navy from 2017 through 2017 as a helicopter pilot. Um, of course, uh, there's fun that came with that. There's also just, you know, ready to do something different. Uh, so that kind of while I'm selected duty is when I started the, the focus on real estate. Uh, my first deal was really in 2010, buying a fourplex that I house hacked and bird before those were even words. Uh, and then moved to Pensacola in 2013 and decided, well, I got to figure out a way to do real estate out here. And it took me a little bit of 18 months or so to get my feet underneath me and uh, to meet my partner, Bob, out here. Uh, and so we actually tried to buy the same mobile home park in 2014. Um, I didn't know Bob at the time. I knew of Bob. And so uh, I ended up calling him one day and I said, hey, I've got this mobile home park I'm trying to buy. I hear you're into mobile home parks. I have some questions for you. And he's like, well, which one is it? And I told him, he's like, well, I'm trying to buy that one tomorrow. And I was like dejected for a second. I was like, well, don't offer more than I'm going to offer. Like we have the same job, dude, right? So uh, Robert is a uh, former V-22 pilot in the Marine Corps. He was a flight instructor at the time. I was a former Navy helicopter pilot, also a flight instructor at the time. Uh, we lived a block and a half from each other, went to the same church. We had way too many similarities, like being the oldest of four. You know, we both had white dog, like bulldogs. It was very strange, right? So we decided to work together at that point and uh, started doing the multifamily thing. Uh, our first deal actually were mobile home parks. We bought, uh, we had a syndication that kind of failed. Our very first syndication failed in 2014. The guy died two days before closing. So oh, we learned wow. all about the probate process. We learned all about how much attorneys cost. Uh, but we also learned we could raise some money. And so while that was going through the probate issue, our first syndication was actually a, uh, that was successful, was a small office building. And then our first multifamily syndication was uh, in 2016 uh, for a 60 unit apartment complex. 
Um, and then from there, we were doing basically one or two deals a year, sometimes together, sometimes separate. Uh, and then in 2019, we decided, hey, let's make this official. We launched Climb Capital. And then since launching Climb Capital, we've bought, I don't know, six, 700 units of deals. And then last year, of course, decided, hey, let's uh, focus on something we like, like RV parks, instead of uh, keep chasing down the same Class C apartments we've been dealing with for the last five or six years. Now, that is a quick six-year rundown of your multifamily investing experience. All right, with Bob. So you guys go to the same church. You have simulators. Did you know him kind of through church? Were you guys friends or was it just Not the time. You, saw, you saw his face and be like, oh, I think that's Bob. Right. So I, I, he had gone to the same real estate club I'd been to and uh, I'd seen him at church. Um, but we come, to, I mean, it's a mega church we go to. And so we were in the same Sunday school class, but it's 80 people at the time. So I, he just moved to town. I hadn't been there that long ourselves. Um, so I knew of him, got his phone number from somebody else, third party. Uh, but very quickly, we're like, we're literally doing all the same things. So yeah. why are we competing on some of this? So stuff? you guys bought the mobile home park together. <laughs> you ended up buying uh, it together? The first deal that we bought together uh, was a 16 unit mobile home park that we actually still own today. So yeah. uh, great deal. Bought it for like just under $200,000. I mean, it appraised recently for 700 plus. Um, and that was when we were like, oh, this is pretty good. We should do this again. And so yeah. uh, that's kind of been our slow kind of trod. If we'd known what we know today, what we do back then, we'd have triple the, the asset size, but we we're still yeah. active duty at the time. Yeah. All right. So I really want to dive into the RV parks because our team, you guys are a few years ahead of our team, but just to give an example, we've been trying to do multifamily for the past few years. We've got a few deals done, but it's becoming uber competitive. And we talked about last January, but making a pivot, you know, we wanted to make a pivot. We wanted to go into different asset classes that not everybody was in and RV parks, campgrounds, self-storage was something that we really were interested in. So give me the rundown. Why RV parks? For all the multifamily people out there, the single family, the flippers, the burrs, the, you know, they look at RV parks and maybe just go, man, that looks really complicated. The short answer is I hope people don't buy RV parks, right? Uh, it seems to be a, a, a niche that we found that's kind of really exciting for us. A couple things we like about it. One is just kind of a time and space from an asset play. Cap rates still have not compressed like they have in other places. Uh, two would be destinations that we want to be in. I've done a lot of classy apartments. I don't want to go hang out with classy apartments. I don't want to hang out with classy people, but I really do like RV parks. I do like the kind of people in the community you find there. For us, it's the ancillary revenue. So many ways to make money, so many ways to improve. You know, the reason we got into commercial real estate in the first place was, hey, if we use our brains, we can make things better and we can get paid for that. And RV parks have like tons of reasons and tons of ways to do that. You talk about that too as a team where it's like, I want to go, I want to buy stuff that I want to go stay at. You know, so in RV parks, I mean, we have a young family. I love camping. I'll go to RV parks and and there's value add opportunity in RV parks because they are mom and pop owned and they're just, they're, they're ran on a paper scheduler. There's no advertising, no marketing, and they're in great locations in the South, Southeast. So what, you know, how do you find these deals? I know, I know I don't, you don't want to dig into the bag and give away all your secrets, but you know, are you knocking on doors? You're banging on doors. You're picking up lists and calling people. How are you finding the the RV parks? And and the second part of that is how are you valuing them? Because all the underwriting, all the gurus out there, there's multifamily spreadsheets galore. Everyone's got their different spreadsheet to underwrite an apartment or a small multifamily or single family. But how are you valuing them? How are you underwriting the RV parks? So I think for us, we have an advantage because we had some success already, right? So we were a little bit step ahead. We already had a full-time underwriter inside of Climb Capital. And so she comes back from a uh, commercial brokerage background working at JLL uh, in Denver. She had taken over underwriting for a multifamily last year. 
Um, and she had kind of been with us as we kind of made this pivot. And so we were able to kind of build our own underwriting spreadsheet, kind of an example. We've also had three that we owned kind of without syndications, which is, you know, single partner uh, deals. And so we were able to, in those three deals, kind of learn on our own dime before we were ready to start taking these out to other people. And so that's going to allow us to kind of understand, I guess, the RV park model a little bit, and specifically our RV park model. I don't think RV parks are like an apartment complex and that everybody's model can be the exact same because there's so much variation in how you run it, where it's at, how big it is. It's not just like go find a property management company and let it go. The other question there is how do we find it? And so for Climb Capital, we have really two branches of that. We have on-market deals and we have off-market deals. The on-market deals um, are slowly building. There's a lot of brokers that are starting to move into that space. And so we've just built, building relationships with those brokers, um, staying on top of all the email blasts. We were in all the Facebook groups. We're in all the groups where you know people sell stuff. So we see anything that comes through there. And then on the off-market side, we basically have an in-house wholesaling team that uh, is calling lists. And uh, we're going down and making every offer we can on every park we can and every location we want to be in. Um, and then both of those are running into that same underwriting and then going into a closing um, as we go. So uh, as we speak right now, we've got three uh, under contract with a fourth uh, contract waiting to be signed, hopefully today. So okay. we're moving pretty quick here. And what, lo what locations are you seeking out? Is it just the Southeast? Is it Florida? I know you're based out of Pensacola. You're trying to draw uh, a 300 mile radius around yourself. Or are you, re are you ready to branch out into Tennessee and these other destination areas? So climb capital was started by uh, two military aviators. We have since hired two more military aviators. Our underwriter is married to a military aviator. Uh, and our marketing guy was a former army guy, right? So he's just a, a landlord. But we wanted to buy an airplane. And so we recently bought an airplane uh, as individuals. And so we're willing to basically go anywhere the airplane can go. Um, we want to stay full-time uh, RV park. So not looking for stuff that shuts down uh, over the winter and uh, in the Southeast. Yeah. So where does he draw that line on not shutting down in the winter? Is that, is that like uh, is it <coughs> Tennessee across the Carolinas and, and South? Our farthest park right now is uh, just south of Cincinnati in Ohio. It gets a lot of snow, but uh, we can still stay open throughout the year there. So that's probably kind of that northern Kentucky border. It's probably kind of where we're going to end yeah. um, in our search right now. Okay. So when you're evaluating these, um, these RV parks, obviously a lot of them are going to be mom and pop owned. You know, uh, I'll probably owned by some 65-year-old lady that's had it for 20 years and she's just, she had to pay it off and she's ready to get out of it. What are the value add opportunities that you're seeing at the RV parks? Like what are the top three that you go, we're going to do this, this, and this on almost every single one of these? Um, there's probably like 10, but the first couple I think of would be one is just making sure rents, um, rents are, are matching whatever the market is. And so, you know, if you're charging $30 at night, well, the market's 50 to 60 in almost every location, maybe more in, in good locations. Uh, two would be a lot of these parks are having lots of uh, month long or longer rentals. And so these guys are staying either seasonally or they're staying throughout the year. Uh, and so we can move a portion of those long-term rentals to short-term rentals. We can certainly increase the valuation. Um, we really like to have online uh, booking software. And so almost every property we've bought, we've been able to improve um, the reservation system to be able to kind of be more efficient, get more people in that way. Um, and then if we have ancillary revenue sources, <clears throat> Airbnb cabins, um, firewood rentals or, or sales, golf cart rentals, you know, whatever else we can, we can find, um, we'll typically find those other things too, to kind of, uh, add, to add value. And you um, call those, and what'd you call those ancillary revenue streams? Yeah, an ancillary revenue streams, right? So just other things people are going to pay us for propane would be one of the big ones we actually get at every property, um, storage options. If we've got non, um, places in the park where, you know, there's no place to you know, camp there, but we still park some trailers or some RVs. Yeah. You know, stuff like that is uh it starts to add up pretty quickly in an RV park. 
All right. And this might not be a cookie cutter thing for each park, but what percentage uh, are you keeping long-term rentals on, on, on uh, a typical park? So to us, it's a, it's a constant test. So we're going to try to maximize that to the most uh, that we possibly can till it stops making, making sense. And we'll keep the rest uh, long-term, but we're typically going to start at about 20 to 25% of going to short-term rentals. And if we keep the demand up, then we'll just keep moving to more and more short-term rentals. Um, and then if the short-term rentals start falling off, we'll just start allowing some people to have, you know, better track records or have nicer rigs to be able to stay a little bit longer and go back to being monthly rentals. So it's, it's pretty fluid. It's not like a, a fixed number. Uh, and we'll probably talk a little bit about our management plan, but our management plan allows our on-scene our on -scene, uh, property managers to make that decision themselves independently. So they're, they're constantly managing their own P&L. And so they make that decision on, hey, I think this is going to be a better, you know, based on the what I'm seeing traffic-wise, I need to take some monthlies right now to keep it full force. Hey, we've got overwhelming demand. Let's just make them all short terms right now. Um, yeah. Let that go. And you talked about software, booking software. And we talked about, you know, a lot of mom and pop owners are going to be using pen and paper to make bookings, uh, probably just through phone calls. So and there's probably, uh, I think there's three or four that I know of, uh, like CampSpot. What's, what soft, what software do you guys love the most? What's been the most, uh, we, the most beneficial for, for the short-term rentals? We're using CampSpot. CampSpot is a great reservation software on the backside for expenses. You got to find something else. So we typically use CampSpot in combination with Appfolio um, for the long-term rentals to be able to have leases. And then we run all of our expenses through Appfolio and our income from CampSpot through Appfolio to keep kind of bookkeeping somewhat clean and coherent between the long-term, short-term and all the other expenses. Okay, just, just for the listeners. So you take, you use CampSpot, which is an app that has all the campgrounds in the country on it and people click on it to book a short-term. They're driving through, they wanna stay three or four nights. They book it through CampSpot your reservation system hits it, they go get their spot. If it's someone that's coming in and be like, I want to live there for a year or six months, yep. you're using Appfolio, which is used for a lot of multifamily long-term rentals, um, you know, some smaller stuff. Yep. And you book it through there. And then you just take your profits from CampSpot and shove them into Appfolio. So all the reporting is done under Appfolio. Correct. And then CampSpot, you can break out. It's, you know, people pay on, it's a reservation software, but they also pay through CampSpot. Um, CampSpot, you can then break out reports on where that money's coming from. So if I want to know how much is that propane from the point of sale or how much is the short-term rentals in this one spot, CampSpot allows you to break all that information out. But at some point, we want to keep our long-terms and our short-terms all kind of on a single P&L. And that's the easiest way we can do it, just having it. And so inside CampSpot, you can have those ancillary ancillary revenue streams inside of there. So if you're selling firewood propane, they just click a button and they pay everything's inside of CampSpot. Correct. Correct. Okay. And they have a and they have a point of sale system. So if we have a store or we're selling something, our property manager will actually put that in through CampSpot, run all those expenses and credit cards. So that was my next question: was the point of sale software? Because you know, not everyone's going to pull out the app and click a button. They're going to walk up to you and hand you their credit card, and be like, "Hey, I want that propane." So CampSpot comes with. Uh, do you know what system they use? What merchant system they use? Um, I should because I've talked to them a handful of times. Right. But I don't know enough stuff in my head. Okay. I know. I know. And, and they're. And they are captive to it. So um, whoever they use, you have to use that for basically everything as part of your agreement. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's very similar to like Guesty with short-term rental platform. They they combine the you know, VRBO, Airbnb all into the one system, but you have to use their merchant, which is Stripe. And Stripe's fees can get a little bit high, uh, but it's kind of, if it's such a good system and it saves time on the back end, maybe those fees are worth it. 
And we use Stripe occasionally too. When we buy a park, getting the camp spot system set up is going to probably be a month long transition or more if you're starting yeah. from zero. And so right. day, day one, we'll take Stripe and we'll use Stripe for probably the first three months and they kind of stop using that as everybody gets tr transitioned over to the new systems. Okay. How long does that transition period take? Because when you buy a multifamily, you know, you hire like a large apartment, you hire an capstone or some property management company that comes in and just just changes all the accounts over and you're up and rolling pretty quick but we know with mama pops you know moving uh systems onto your into you moving accounts over into your name all that takes place you're trying to lead up to closing to make sure you have all those ducks in a row but when closing hits that's when it really starts to transfer over so what's the time period between closing and having your systems uh up and running a lot of that's going to, for us, is going to depend on our on-scene property manager, on-site property manager, how long have they been there, what their uh, ability to kind of get that stuff done. Um, for CampSpot uh, specifically, you have to give them all of the information for each site. So how big of a unit, what kind of power, what kind of water, does it have a dump, all these types of things. And so once that spreadsheet's built out and you answer all their questions and get processed through their system, they build a map and then there's a, a website process also that all gets kind of transitioned there. Generally we're shooting for, you know, about a month, about four weeks to get all that stuff fully up and going. Yeah. Um, we're, we're probably not as aggressive on trying to get things turned over as quickly as possible as we could be. Uh, but that's also because we're a smaller shop and we're doing everything in house. So all yeah. our property management is self-management. So we have a couple of people at climb capital that each have very specific parts of the due diligence and parts of the turnover. And so they can kind of you know add that to their list of other things they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis to make sure that stuff gets done as quickly as possible. Great. And that's a great transition into actually managing the property because just like any asset you buy, um, buying it is one thing, but actually the ability to execute your business plan comes down to two positions, your asset manager and your on-site property manager. With large multifamily you can outsource that. There's property management companies across the country that are very versed and they're very good at it. And you pay for what you get in RV parks. Uh, I'm sure they're out there, but there's just not as plentiful. But I think you guys do in-house property management, correct? Yeah. Talk so to, have, you, have you ever outsourced it? We've never outsourced an RV park. Okay. Um, that was the question. Yeah, RV park. I meant that. Yeah. Have you ever outsourced it? No. Okay. No, no. We, we, our very first RV park we bought in 2020 was the first time that we took on self-management. So that was our very first self-management play. Since then, we've taken all mobile home parks and all of our apartments to self-management also. And did you buy, did you just move a property manager to the property? You hired in-house and said, hey, you're going to go live there and manage this thing? No, actually for the first one, uh, it was only 36 units. It was about an hour away. She was managing a mobile home park for us that she lived at. And so she took on that as an additional responsibility when we bought it. So she wasn't even on site for the 36 unit? For the first one, no, she wasn't on site. It also wasn't what we'd buy today. You know, it was a 36 unit straight line, no real amenities to speak of, not a destination. Um, and so that's one reason we sold it, you know, at the beginning of this year was just to kind of fit our model anymore. Um, but it taught us, right, kind of about the people who RV and the people that are looking for a place and was yeah. enough to kind of launch us off. <laughs> yeah. So now, now you have property management that you push to be on site if there's amenities and it's a destination area, correct? Correct. So everything we've bought in the last couple of years, property manager is on site or is in town. Um, if they can live on site, if there's a property for them, great. If not, you know, living nearby is fine too. Um, and that is their sole responsibility. So we buy stuff big enough that can support a full-time property manager um, salary 
uh, competitive salary, right? So we're really looking for 60 to 80 minimum spaces and preferably more at this point to kind of feed that. Okay. So it follows in line with large multifamily where, you know, 60 plus units uh, is enough to have an on-site property manager living there. So with RV parks, you're saying the same thing, 60 plus pads constitutes enough money to have the property manager live on site, either on one of the pads, or maybe there's a, a apartment quarters there, or, or it depends on the structure of. Every RV park is so weird, right? But they always, almost always seem to come with an extra house or a mobile home or an apartment or something, right? Yeah. Um, so we typically offer that up as a, um, a an additional benefit, right? So, hey, if you live here, it's not gonna cost you anything because we know you're gonna get your, you're gonna be here all the time. So that's better for us, um, better for them if they don't have to pay for where they live. Uh, and we just make sure that that lease is coinciding with their uh, employment. So as long as you're employed, you can live there. If you are no longer employed with us, that lease terminates um, at the same time. And how are you motivating these property managers to make sure that, um, you know, this thing, the park is full, people are happy, the reviews are great. Obviously, I'm, I'm assuming you're paying them a salary to live on site. Is there any other uh, motivation for them, either money-wise or you know, equity wise to say, I love this more than just what the salary is paying me. Um, so yes, uh, we, we start with a uh, NOI goal uh, every year. And that's kind of the basis of what we're expecting them to be able to hit. If they're going to be able to move over that, uh, there's going to be a profit incentive that which will pay you extra for uh, producing greater than the expectation of the business plan. More importantly, though, uh, we pay a, face a fair salary. Uh, and then two, greater than most property managers would make at an apartment, honestly. And then two, we give them lots of autonomy. And so we're we're advertising for and hiring people who want to run their own business. And so our, our ad says, hey, if you want to run on your business on somebody else's dollars, come work for us. We'll teach you about commercial real estate. And so it's really the ability for somebody who has probably worked in corporate America or has ran something in the past, but felt like there was somebody who's always on top of them. We give them the park. We give them you know, the keys to the kingdom. We give them the credit card and the debit card and the bank accounts. And we say, hey, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. We're not on them every single day about how things are going, what they're doing. So we we really do have them managed to the PL. And then monthly we're going over that PL to see, hey, how'd you do? You know, are you making the right choices? You're not making the right choices. And that autonomy is really something I think a lot of people seek. And the ability to kind of be kings of their own castle um, has really been interesting for a lot of people that weren't sure they could do it and then have really just stepped up and kind of crushed it when they've had the opportunity to kind of run something. Um, themselves. So I think those two things combined. I love it. So monthly meetings is what you're doing. Obviously early on, probably in the process, it's weekly or sometimes daily, right? To get things moving. But once it's stabilized, you're having a monthly meeting to review the PL, uh, talk about any issues come up, any strategies moving forward. Uh, and that's that's the role of Climb Capital as the asset managers on the Azar Regards, correct? So we are actually using an EOS model, uh, um, you know, hybrid EOS model, and we're doing weekly meetings with every property manager. Um, and they're giving us weekly updates on um, their scorecard, right? So if you're familiar with the EOS or Gina Wickman's traction book, um, we're using that level 10 meeting, the 90 minute meeting with all of our properties right now. Uh, eventually that'll move into asset classes. And as we continue to grow, that'll move into each um regional manager running that same meeting, but we're getting the weekly meetings so that they can ask us questions or get help with things as they need. But yeah, the review of how things are going and kind of holding people accountable is really happening on that monthly, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, hey, let's look at the PL. Yeah. What happened this month? Can you, can you describe what EOS is? Um, EOS in the simplest form would be saying you're taking this craziness that is this brand new business and you're putting a little bit of structure to it. Um, it, it has a breakdown of 
basically ensuring that you have a hierarchy, that you know each person's role and you know your values and what you're trying to do. And it's a process of using somebody else's systems to make sure everybody's moving in the same direction. It's really what it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. So RV parks, you have, you buy them, you stabilize them, you get property managed on site. You're using CanSpot as a software. You got AppFolio to run the long-term and your expenses. It sounds like you got the great structure set up, but we all know what's really important is to drive people to the park to fill it, right? You need tenants in there long-term, short-term. So why don't you give me a breakdown? And by me, I mean us, again, I'm being selfish here, but of the marketing, you know, how do you attract people to your RV park? Um, we're a little bit of a weird kind of micro, macro time in the country where there is not enough RV parks. So there's something to be said, if you build it, they will come. Um, and we've definitely seen that in a lot of respects. We're not spending lots of money on marketing. Um, we've stayed away from the Passport America, from the Good Sam. Um, they're taking a pretty big bite out of the apple for every reservation, and we don't need it. We're still Who's full. that? Who who'd you say that was? Good Sam um, the and Passport America, some of the other RV-specific travel sites. Oh, I got um, you. Okay, okay. They're travel they, sites for RVers. Right. They'll add, you know, you'll, you can join their club and get you a better deal. Um, and we're not we're not opposed to that uh, per se, but when they're taking fifty percent or so of some of your your, your reservations each night, well, that that kind of hurts, right? So right. Um, we'll use that when we need to. But right now, it's really primarily just doing uh, Google Maps, making sure that your your Google uh, business page is up and running correctly. Um, we're doing the camp spot, which we can also syndicate out to some of the other travel sites, uh, and then having a really good website that can be you know SEO friendly, so people can find for the area that you're in. So CampSpot, does it come with a website, the CampSpot, or did you create the website on your own? CampSpot, to be able to be operated, has to have a, at least a web landing page um, to operate. So we have to create the website. Okay, so you need a shell of a, we of a website, you know. Jeremy's at least RV have a URL. Yeah. Gotcha. J Jeremy's RV Park, and when they click book now, it routes them to CampSpot to actually make the yeah. booking. I got you. Okay. That's, uh, so no no Facebook advertising, no Facebook pages, uh, nothing, nothing crazy, just... Well, again, so we ask the property managers to do things that they think is going to work for them. So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them will run um, property-specific uh, Facebook pages. Hit or miss if those are useful, right? Um, it, it, a lot of it just depends on where you're at, kind of what you're looking for. You know, one of our parks is right next to the ARC uh, experience, the big Noah's Ark up in northern Kentucky, just south mm -hmm. of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we're able to attract a lot of uh, traffic that's going to the ARC. And, you know, we've done some stuff with the ARC to make sure that, you know, we're noted as a, as a place to stop if you're, if you're going to that area. Yeah. That's awesome. So what's, uh, what's the goals for this year? How many RV parks are you going to take down? Um, that's a, it's a constantly moving question. Our goal this year, is $65 million of new RV parks, assets, assets under management. Um, we're looking to buy about 50 RV parks over the next two years. Uh, and we're launching a RV park fund here in a couple of months. So, um, We'll have a much bigger, you know, cash load to go kind of make some decisions quickly. Um, so, you know, we're at, we're in March right now of 2022. We have more or less four under contract. We'd like to see more or less two under contract per month, kind of as we move forward. Especially as our kind of off market cycle um, and team kind of gets their feet underneath them over the next couple of months. Yeah, um, really kind of see that stuff working out for us. I want to talk about that fund real quick, but uh, first, evaluating RV parks. I know in multifamily world you kind of do a per door price you know that's that thing they're selling that fifty thousand dollars a door hundred thousand dollars a door is there a formula of a per pad price for rv parks based off the market um 
highly localized, highly dependent on kind of the amenities of the park, the size of the park. So not really. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about price per pad as a as an indicator. Um, the the to build a pad, you know, base building of a pad from nothing, you know, you can expect fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. So that kind of gives us our base of kind of hey, here's what it would cost. So if we can buy it at or near that number, I mean, it's kind of a, a home run. Um, so you said if, if you're going to build a pad from scratch, you walk into a piece of land, you're going to build that pad. It's fifteen to twenty k. What is that pad including for fifteen to twenty k? Uh, under uh, underground utilities, uh, plumbing, electric, water, a uh, road, the actual pad itself, the the power pole, um, and probably some kind of you know uh, landscaping or otherwise stuff around the actual spot. And all, all your all your pads are concrete pads, or do you do gravel pads? Uh, we do gravel, we do millings, uh, we do concrete, we do asphalt. Just depends okay. where it's at. Just depends where it's at and what. You, okay, I got you. All right, let's talk about the fund real quick. I know you. Uh, that's something you guys are doing. That's going to be really important for you guys to fund your deals in the future. Hence the name, calling it a fund. Um, what's what's the idea behind it? Uh, what's the criteria to get in the fund? What's the minimum investment amount? I, I may be too early for you to start talking about that, but maybe just kind of give some wave tops, high level stuff here. So uh, nothing is set in stone. So, you know, it's stuff that we're still working on uh, to get kind of launch date uh, sometime in the summer. Um, but we're looking to specifically buy destination RV parks in the Southeast. So that'll be kind of the, the structure uh, of that. Um, the reason for the fund is simply that we're doing so many deals that um, we want to have a more um, wide diversity for our investors. Everybody wants to invest in an RV park, but choosing this one park in Kentucky and this one park in Georgia and this one park in Florida, um, sometimes the risk profile doesn't make sense based on that one individual park. So now if you can basically buy a swath of those, you're getting 15 to 20 uh, inside of your same investment. I think that's a much better play from a diversity uh, and a risk management play for investors. For us, <clears throat> the other thing that's going to allow us to do is to make sure all of our funds are going in one place. Uh, we've been having so much um, interest in our deals that We've had people bringing us large, you know, million dollar plus in capital, and we've just been able to kind of plug that capital to a park. Super easy, right? The downside is all of my investor base, when they've got fifty to hundred thousand dollars, aren't even seeing these deals, and so they're feeling like they're being left out. So we don't leave people out anymore. And so if we can move everybody's capital into kind of one big stack. Everybody can kind of get the same bite of the apple. Um, and then the other thing that's going to hopefully allow us to do too is to move a little bit faster on some of these smaller deals where, you know, it's a great deal, but they've got problems with closing timelines or you can only buy it in cash until you fix some problems. And so it allows us to kind of recycle that money by buying some stuff outright in cash and then refinance uh, on a slower timeline as required as we're buying more stuff. Okay. So if a fund, I give you $25,000 and you don't have a deal for that $25,000, I'm just trying to give some base level understanding of how a fund works. As you say, Hey, we've got the Jeremy RV park fund. We're ready to go. Do I give you 25k up front or do I wait till you have your first deal? So typically um, fund structures would look like you would when you make your um, amount that you want to invest in the fund up front, uh, you would give us to excuse me, you'd give us 10% up front. And then at points in the future, we'd have capital calls in which we'd have to have like a 14-day period to give us the the extra money as we needed it as we kept going. Um, that details we still haven't completely finished, you know, knocking right. out. Uh, but we'd expect something similar kind of going forward here where, you know, we'll take a portion of your funds initially, and then uh, we'll have a couple of years to make sure we're, we have time to find the right deals before we just take all your money. And right. 
And how much, let's say I gave you $50,000, you okay, you need to give me $5,000 up front to hold your spot in the fund. And then you get your first deal. Uh, you said you're going to diversify my money across multiple deals. So you're just pulling a certain percentage of that 50000 for that first deal and holding the rest back for the next deal. Is that how, is it kind of the understanding of it? Uh, some of it's kind of still to be seen, but you know, the idea is if, if we're, if we're raising a 10 or $20 million fund, it's probably going to be a $20 million fund. We get everybody's kind of initial capital in there. Um, yeah. We'll use a percentage of whatever's required of everybody's money kind of in pro rata to go buy whatever that first park is. Right. So the, right. the fund buys a park and you have, you know, some ownership in that per the fund. Okay. All right. That, that makes sense. All right, man. Well, uh, Dude, this has been an enlightening conversation because I know there's a lot of people out there that are spinning their wheels in the multifamily um, sector of real estate. It's just uber competitive. It's difficult to find deals. A lot of stuff is overpriced. And you guys are ahead of the curve on this RV park stuff. You really are. Uh, and it's going to get, I, I, feel, I have a feeling in five years, RV parks are going to be what multifamily was starting back in what 2015 16 that's kind of when i started seeing the ball rolling on multifamily now there's a guru around every corner in multifamily there's courses galore yeah. uh, you don't see that in rv parks I, I think it's coming i think hopefully for your sake and maybe for our sake that slows down because our team is highly interested in buying these this asset class as well but uh where can people find you man how can people get uh you know more information about climb capital this fund's coming up uh, just Kind of just give, give, give people some information here. So the easiest place to find us, of course, is always on the internet. So you can always just Google Climb Capital or climbcapital.com. Uh, we're on all the major social media platforms. Uh, for me personally, uh, I'm doing a daily TikTok or as best I can to do a daily TikTok video on uh, commercial real estate or RV park investing specifically. They're terrible. Uh, my 200 followers a day, I'm sure, though, are really, <laughs> are really looking forward to seeing me every day. But uh, my daily TikToks. Uh, but if you go to the website, you can sign up for our, uh, our, our email. Uh, or reach out to us if you're going to be an interested investor. We can start setting up talking to you uh, for 506B deals. Uh, and then assuming the 506Cs don't go up to a $10 million uh, accredited investor number this year, uh, we'll probably have some of those available and kind of marketed widely by the end of the year. Awesome. Jeremy with Climb Capital, thank you very much for your time, man. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast, where we give you the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Learn more at realfocus.org slash gorillastatepod.